Well, I'm super excited to uh, have Corey Klimchuk uh, join me on this call. Uh, thanks for being here, Corey. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with Corey, uh, he's a senior client manager at Pynchon. Uh, it's a large engineering, building science, and health and safety consulting firm. Uh, Corey is a certified engineering technologist uh, who's been in the environmental industry for over nine years, uh, about seven of which have been uh, directly related to transactional due diligence. Uh, and Corey and I actually go back quite a long ways, uh, to over 20 years to, to date ourselves. We were actually buddies in high school. So uh, thanks so much for joining me on this call, Corey. Well, thanks for having me, Chad. Uh, so we're going to cover a lot of uh, information. I want to talk about environmental site assessments, phase ones, twos, and threes, even if we have a chance. Uh, but before we get there, uh, I'd love to just get your thoughts uh, on the overview of the industry, uh, how we got to where we are today, and, and just some background on the industry itself. Yeah, fair enough. That's a good question. And I guess it depends on what kind of environmentalist, uh, you know, where the start point is. I mean, environmentalism really goes back into the late 1800s, early 1900s, with the foundation of national parks. Uh, and, you know, forestry conservation management. Those were really based on economics. Uh, by about 1960s, though, and 70s, that's where we really started to see the start of the movement that we think about today. Um, you know, you've seen the evolution of Greenpeace and the foundation of that, sorry, in uh, 1971, I believe it is. Um, and that kind of launched uh, the movement in the 80s and the 90s. And in the 80s and 90s, that's where we really started to see government getting involved. Uh, you know, pollution agreements uh, and accords, uh, foundation of real political movements and, you know, green parties in, in, in North America. Uh, and then by the year 2000, really, this turned into what we see today, climate change and, uh, you know, global warming or uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, in about the 2000s, we really started to get a real idea on what type of um, contaminants uh, were causing health issues, uh, were causing ecological issues. Uh, so that's what started to um, develop these regulations that we see today. And when you hit about 2009, 2010, you, you see the kind of current framework of what we deal with today. We've been in this kind of model for about a 10-year period now, and, and that's what most buyers and sellers are used to. So that's kind of been the progressive movement of it. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, what we see today has been around for about a decade now, so. Uh, that's a really good explanation. I, I appreciate your perspective on that. I, I don't think a lot of people really give a lot of thought to it and they just, they, it's there. So we have to deal with it. But having that historical context, I think is important. Uh, and I know another thing that uh, being in the industry, uh, like you and I have both been in it for a while, we've become very familiar with these terms. So they almost become second nature for us. So we don't really think about it a whole lot. Uh, but if we were to really break it down to someone that's brand new into the industry that doesn't have familiarity with it, how would you describe a phase one, a phase two, and a phase three? Um, well, phase one, phase two, phase three is really just uh, kind of a process. Uh, phase one and phase two are uh, under either the Canadian Standards Association. They, they have a specific Canadian standard to follow. Um, and the same in the U.S., uh, EPA guidelines, uh, they do have a phase one, phase two process. And yeah, but when you get to a phase three, um, that's uh, where it becomes a little bit variable in what we call some of these procedures. But in a nutshell, the way to think about this is a phase one is kind of a desktop review and a visual view of the property and the neighboring properties to determine if there's a potential for any type of liability or, or contaminants. A phase two is the action of going to find out if there's anything there, it's characterization. So you drill some boreholes, collect some samples, so unlike a phase one where it's just an overview, you actually, you know, collect and confirm what is in the soil and groundwater systems. 
And then the phase three is any component that deals with the management or remediation reclamation of those properties. And that's where you can get variable degrees of terminology. I also want to point out, um, you know, there is different types of documents for the type of uh, purchaser you are. A phase one and a phase two are primarily designed for transactional due diligence. But if you're a developer and you want to get into rezoning and, and repermitting, depending on your municipality and your provincial government, you may find that there are additional requirements beyond a traditional phase one or phase two. So uh, you look in BC, for example, they have a phase one and a phase two process. But if you want to redevelop something, you have to go through a stage one and a stage two as well, too, um, in a lot of cases, because those are the requirements through ministerial order or ministerial process. Um, so each province has its own degree of variabilities, but, you know, uh, for the most part, a phase one, two is what most buyers will uh, be accustomed to. And those are standard documents uh, really throughout North America. That's a great explanation. And I want to dive a little bit deeper into that and, and get your thoughts on, on pricing and any other considerations that buyers or sellers should be aware of. But before we get into that topic, uh, uh, what differences do you see, not just in different municipalities, such as provincial, but do you see overlap or similarities uh, between Canada and the U.S. with the environmental process? Uh, yeah, I mean, the the evolution or the history of environmentalism between uh, the United States and Canada are, are very well tied together. I mean, Canada has done some things that are obviously unique, uh, but the US EPA has driven a lot of, you know, the framework of what Canada has considered. Uh, why re reduplicate that work? So you, when you look at, uh, you know, Canada uses the CCME guidelines, which is Canadian Councils of uh of the environment and all your provincial regulations are, are, are derived from that. There are some local provincial considerations depending on industries that you deal with uh, specifically, but for the most part, it's all derived from that uh, overarching uh, Canadian government framework. Uh, and similarly, if you look at the EPA guidelines, you'll find that a lot of those uh, derived values for contaminants are, are very similar. Um, and it's based on the science and the health implications behind those contaminants and what we know they can cause again to the ecological system or human health impacts. So, yeah, great, great explanation. Thanks for that. I, I think that emphasizes too why uh, anyone buying or selling real estate, particularly commercial real estate, uh, wants to have a consultant uh, in their corner, uh, helping mm -hmm. them navigate through these processes instead of trying to do it on their own. You need to have a, a good consultant on it. For sure. You know, um, what is a good consultant? I think. Um, you know, that's a variable question. Uh, a good consultant uh, means different things to different people, just like a good lawyer or a good doctor, I think. I think uh, any buyer or seller needs to act, ask themselves what would they expect of their lawyer or doctor or another type of professional that really takes care of their, whether it's their health liability, legal liability, we're dealing with your environmental liability. So selecting somebody that understands the framework, if you're, you know, a buyer who's into national purchases, not just local purchases, international purchases, that's something to consider. Is your consultant aware of those differences and can they handle those for you? But more importantly, is your consultant giving you really good advice? Because too often we find that we understand that there's an objective in a phase one, phase two. We want to buy and sell real estate. But we also have to understand that the objective from the consulting perspective is to give you good advice. And if your consultant isn't on board with the base fact that we, our primary job is to give you good advice, then what's going to happen is you may find you've either wasted your money or you've ended up in a situation that you really didn't want to be in and you could have been aware of a lot sooner. 
Yeah, I, I've been in this business for 15 years and I, and I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, having the right uh, consultant advise on the environmental process uh, can quite often be the difference between a, a deal going together and a deal going sideways. So uh, I, I'm glad you, you brought that up. I know you're not uh, trying to plug yourself by any means. Uh, I, I think that I could do that for you because uh, I, I've, I've used you guys a lot and, and I, I know you well. So uh, I can certainly vouch for you. Uh, but whether someone uses you or just another environmental consultant, I, I think you hit on a lot of good points on that. Uh, so on that topic, and, and I know that, that there is some overlap in, in different jurisdictions, so it, it might not be possible to give a, a, a an accurate price on what all these co- uh, reports will cost. But just generally speaking, or in a high level ballpark, what do you see costs at for for a phase one, phase two, and and obviously phase three is is property dependent. So maybe you could just focus on phase one and phase two. Wow, those are really good questions. Um, they are variable depending on what province you're in. Uh, Phase ones are, are more or less standardized. They're a couple thousand dollars, you know, or call above $3,000 as a rough average in the industry. Uh, there are some plus and minuses depending on the region, but we're all, again, following the CSA standard. Therefore, we should all be ordering similar documents, which have similar price points. We're doing the same amount of work. So uh, most of your consultants are going to come out of the gate with a fairly standardized competitive phase one. In a phase two, um, that's where things get a little bit more variable because we're subject to the cost of, you know, drilling contractors and laboratory services. Laboratory samples are, you know, national labs usually um, accredited. So they're going to have pricing similar from province to province, but a drilling contractor in Alberta is not necessarily the same drilling contractor and price point as someone in Ontario. Uh, typically speaking, though, you can look at a phase two to cost, you know, maybe on the lower end about $10,000. It could be a bit cheaper, but you know, a good quality starts at about 10, 11. Uh, and then, you know, they can get up to 20, 25 or 30 if they're a large complex property. Uh, it really depends on how many target areas you need to investigate and uh, you know, what type of unique issues for the property, but call it anywhere from 20 to $30,000 for your follow-up phase two. Uh, phase three is where it really, really gets complicated because there's so many choices. Um, you, know, uh, you can remediate the property, you can manage the property, um, you can put in um, variable treatment systems. There's uh, you know, a long list of different choices you have. Uh, some are better for certain properties than others. Um, and that ultimately determines cost. And it's not only cost today, it's cost spread out over time, potentially. So when you think about the economics of managing a property and realizing those environmental costs, there is often solutions that take a high price tag phase three or a cleanup or remedial action uh, and make it very, very manageable over the operational life of that property. So. So cost is obviously an important one, and I appreciate you uh, touching on that, 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 and that gives a lot of clarity for people on what to expect. Uh, the, the second part of that is, uh, is timing. Uh, what do people need to be prepared for on, on how long these reports will actually take? Well, you know, that, you know, honestly, Chad, it's probably one of the most important questions you can ask today from my side, the consultant. We're happy to jump in and get moving on anything as, as quickly as you need it. And, and we're really good, uh, especially us uh, uh, attention and, and making sure that we understand the transactional due dates and the requirements and make that happen. But more often than not, our hands are tied because of those timing constraints, because we don't get a phone call early enough and we are not engaged early enough in the process. There seems to be this perception in industry that we're like lawyers, where when you pick up the phone and call us, I'm going to send you a bill later, which really isn't the case. Like, you know, we want as much time as possible to give you good advice. So the earlier you make that phone call to your consultant, the more options I have to give you. 
And the more options I have to give you, the better we might be able to find an economic solution that fits with your needs rather than being forced into the only option available to fit your time and considerations. Yeah, a great point. And I hear that all the time as well as people expect that these these things move very quickly when quite often there's a lot of moving parts on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just want to walk through a hypothetical situation and and you and chime in or f- uh, feel free to correct me if, if I'm wrong on any of this. But uh, let's say that you are brought on to do a, an environmental site assessment of a property and there's no recent history on it. So you're you're going into doing a phase one. Uh, like you said, you're doing an overview uh, of the history of the property. You're doing a site inspection to make sure that there's nothing that, that might trigger any warning signs. Uh, and uh, if if there isn't, then you'd give a phase one report basically saying that there's no further recommendations and the banks generally are going to be satisfied with that. I say generally because there's a lot of moving parts. Uh, but let's say in that report uh, during the site inspection, something was noticed or during the historical search, uh, maybe there is a, a, a dirty use on there, like an old dry cleaner or a chrome plating shop. Uh, and the phase one recommended going to a phase two. Uh, so let's, based on my experience, we're probably looking at three to four weeks to do that original phase one, uh, mm-hmm. and then to do the phase two to actually drill and take soil samples. You could be looking anywhere from six to eight weeks uh, to actually conduct that analysis. Uh, if there is a contaminant in there, and the next step is to go through to a phase three uh, report, uh, what what do you generally see for timelines on that, uh, on, on how long it could take? And, and two-part question, what happens after that work is done, uh, after the work is, is remediated? That's an excellent question. So lots of variability here. And again, time is uh, gives you choice. So uh, I think most people would be aware of a traditional dig and dump, you know, take an excavator or a shovel and throw it in a bucket or a truck and haul it away and bring in new dirt. Problem solved. Let's move on. That's a real expensive and intrusive way to do things. Um, There are other methods that, uh, so let's just say you've got building uh, structure on top of your contamination. I mean, why rip the building down to dig out a hole? That's just an awful waste of money. Well, you've got things like chemical treatments, uh, um, vacuum uh, depressurization systems to get rid of volatile compounds. Um, Things like that are available. They take time though. They may take, you know, um, 24, 36, 48 months to really do their job. So, Again, if an owner who's looking to sell a property is starting to think about this process or one day might want to, the time to get on these things is now so that you can put it back to a good condition for a much better cost and, and, and you know, retain the value of your property. Um, so time, it could take years, Chad. And then on the closure documents, that's an, another discussion. So if you're looking for a certificate of closure um, uh, or even um, you know a risk management plan is maybe a different option for those properties that just can't be effectively remediated. Um, you know, there's just special considerations or the costs are just uh, too crazy to really expect anyone to put that kind of money into it. So you'll dig what you can, remediate what you can, and then leave some behind. And what you're asking for is kind of blessing from the government to manage the residual in place, even though it exceeds the guideline. But to get a risk management plan, for example, that takes, uh, you know, we're experiencing right now in Alberta specifically 18 to, you know, 20, 24 months for a response. It's a really long process. So again, I can't stress the importance that, especially if you're on the seller's side and you're you're gonna list your property someday and you think there might be some issues to address, get on it now so we have options to save you money because these processes can take a long time if you wanna choose one of the alternative remedial methods. 
And then just to get approval and closure from the government can be at least a year, if not longer. So, yeah, it's very well said. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, so on that topic, I guess, so uh, I deal predominantly in industrial real estate and virtually every industrial property that we're involved in, uh, a bank or lender's going to require uh, a, a phase one report at a bare minimum. Uh, so that, that's pretty much a guarantee on any industrial property. But are you seeing more of a trend for all commercial properties, whether it's a, like a neighborhood shopping center or an office building? Uh, and then by extension, are you seeing any residential properties uh, that are requiring this as well? Well, hard residential being single, single family homes or uh, private owned uh, condo or apartment buildings, no. Uh, those that are managed by a property manager, rental properties, um, and, and that, uh, yes. Um, if it's commercially operated property, regardless of whether, whether it's residential or, you know, strip mall or anything else, uh, it really, uh, most banks are going to require a phase one ESA. And really, they're lending money, they're becoming an investor, and, you know, they know how much some of these things can cost to fix. And they are very concerned that if you haven't accounted for that in your business model, well, then someone needs to, and that's going to probably be your banker. That's their job. So, yeah, understandably. Uh, one other question, and it just kind of came to mind, so I'm put you on the spot on this for a bit. But when do you when do you generally recommend that someone commissions a an environmental report? Uh, and I ask that because I know banks sometimes put a, a time limit on when those will actually be valid mm -hmm. for. Uh, so in other words, they might even expire. So do you recommend that a seller be proactive and and get one of these reports started ahead of time, or do you? generally say, wait until you have a, a purchase offer in hand and then start doing the uh, due diligence? Well, okay. Uh, I'm going to answer that on two sides of this. Um, there is an expiry date, even our, us as a consultant. There's only so much I can rely on that report uh, from even our liability insurance standpoint. Uh, we can't give reliance, uh, you know, usually outside most consultants, anywhere from a year to two years. Ours at pension is an 18-month reliance period. Uh, so you commission your phase one report today and it takes you say 12, 13, 14 months to find a buyer and the banker to finance it or close all that. We can still issue reliance to your bank or a third party if necessary. Uh, you can update a phase one ESA down the road, uh, you know, usually within about five years. So, I mean, we don't reorder all the historical documents. We'll revisit the site and, you know, do a quick overview to make sure nothing at your neighbor's property has changed and we'll reissue the report. So that's an update. Outside of that, then they start to get stale and it's just that, you know, are you using current information? It's more of a kind of a common sense drives this component. And, and uh, I, I don't believe there's any legal threshold, but there is a, you know, when you look at academics, even if the courses are more than seven years out, well, you, you're probably going to need to get new credits. And I think that kind of drives that window five to eight year mark where banks start to get uncomfortable. So that being said, though, as a owner of a property, um, I think it's very important to mention it is your legal requirement to know about your contamination on your property. So just because you may not use that phase one today for a transaction due diligence, there is still, according to the law, an obligation to understand the condition of your property. Uh, so there is value in you know paying the few thousand dollars up front. Um, yes, it is a cost, but you know you think of the dollars down the road of not knowing about something you could have dealt with ten years ago. Um, I bet you those few thousand dollars you could have spent will come back to um, back in your pocket, um, you know, exponentially um, just by being proactive. So, 
And, and I think that, that we, we could summarize that actually pretty neatly on that point, uh, because I, I think given how, how complex this subject is and, and all the moving parts and, and the legal requirements, I, what I recommend to people, whether it's, whether it's a broker or whether it's uh, an investor or a property owner, uh, is to have a consultant like yourself, uh, the same way that they would have a lawyer, they would have an accountant or a banker, uh, is to have a relationship with, a, with an environmental consultant to keep on top of these trends, keep on top of uh, not just what's happening in the industry, but specific to their individual property. So I'll leave a, a link uh, to your LinkedIn profile uh, in the description of this video. And I'd encourage anyone to, to reach out to you if, uh, if they have any more questions or if they're looking for an environmental report. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of this video, I'm a big fan of, of you, Corey, and Pynchon. So you've, you've got my recommendation. Uh, and I, I really do thank you for jumping on this call to explain that in more detail. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Chad. And uh, if you have any more questions for me, uh, give me a call. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Corey. Take care.